Amen. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 7 and verse 38. And I want to minister today again on the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit is so faithful to speak to us. He is so faithful to uh, move among us. And I think there's a tremendous lack of uh, understanding on the ministry of the Holy Spirit within the church. And I want us to get it. I thought of a lot of things I could call this today. And all I could come up with that I thought was best was to call it under the influence. <laughs> under the influence. You know, our culture is under the influence of pretty much something all the time. A lot of people are under the influence of something. The believer is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Under the influence. And so stand with me to read one verse, John 7, 38. Jesus is talking about this, and while you're uh, getting ready and turning there, let me really, really encourage you to set aside anything and everything you need to, to be there September the 23rd, Sunday night, to see the church building. Uh, if you consider yourself part of this church family and you're available, you ought to be there. You ought to be there because you're going to see it, and I want you to see it. Pictures don't do it justice. I'll show those pictures, but the building pictures, they don't do it justice. I want you to see it. Five o'clock to seven o'clock, we'll be there. Everybody bring your own food, bring your own everything. We'll provide the building for you. So that is the 23rd Sunday. Be there. All right, John 7, 38, Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now look what verse 39 tells us. This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there's no question he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And everyone who believes on him, according to Christ Jesus, has a well dug within them by God, and out of that well, out of your innermost being, is to flow rivers, not a few mercy drops, not a little bit of, not a little bit of Holy Spirit water when you're in trouble, but daily rivers of living water. Father, we just thank you for your word today, and we pray you'll speak to our hearts. And thank you for the moving of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit of God among us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. And you can be seated. An old American Indian legend tells of an Indian who came down from the mountains and he saw the ocean for the very first time. He was awed by the scene, so awed that he requested a quart jar as he waited into the ocean and filled the jar, he was asked this question, what are you going to do with that water in that jar? And he said, back in the mountains, my people have never seen the great water. I will carry this to them so they can see what I have seen. Now I want you to think about that for a minute because that's exactly what you are. You are a container of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Now, I want us to get a divine revelation today. I think that a lot of the reason the church is not influencing the world, not impacting our culture, 
like it ought to be. It's because we have forgotten about the mighty ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. We have lost the sense and the understanding that God has anointed us to be carriers of His glory into a lost and a dying world. He has given us His Holy Spirit. And as this Indian went down into the ocean, filled up a quart jar and took it back to his people and said, here, I want you to see what I have seen. That is exactly the ministry and the purpose of the church. We are to carry a quart jar, as it were. We are containers of the Holy Ghost, and we're to carry it back into the world and say, I want you to see what I have seen. I want you to experience the love of God and the power of God. I want you to get a drink of the same Holy Spirit I have drunk of. I want you to experience what I have. I want you to see what I saw. I want you to experience what I've experienced. That's the call of God on the church. And I'm going to tell you, church, I'll give you another real good reason for this. You know, for years I have uh, preached and taught on going out and evangelizing, witnessing, sharing everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, you're a light. Everywhere you go, you're a witness. Everywhere you go, Jesus is going with you as long as it's not a sinful place. Jesus is going with you. He is upon you and in you and wants to flow out of you to the people around you. Now, if you can't get a burden for souls, if you can't get a burden just to reach people because they're lost and going to a devil's hell, let me give you another real compelling reason to share the gospel in our day. If we do not, there is another religion hard at work to take over the free world. And they are evangelizing and they are witnessing and they are talking to people about their religion everywhere they go. And I'm talking about Islam. And I want you to hear me today. I believe they're making greater gains than the church. And the reason they are is because the church has gotten fat and happy and lazy. And we're not sharing Jesus like we should. So now, what's happening? A foreign power, another religion that has nothing to do with our faith, is moving in on the territory that God once gave to us. And if you cannot get a burden to win souls for the sake of winning souls, get a burden to overtake this dark cloud that is moving over the West. I was with a pastor this week, and this pastor and his wife shared with Kathy and I that now you can go into the Galleria Mall. And when you go into the Galleria Mall, you will see North Dallas women who used to be blonde, uh, 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 dressing in all of the up, upper scale clothing and, and, and uh, comporting themselves like Dallas women and Dallas-Fort Worth women and, 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 and uh, uh, American women are now walking into the mall with these prayer covering shawls on their heads. They have converted to Islam and now in a nation unbelievably and inexplicably that has preached the doctrine of feminism for decades now, women are submitting to a religion that takes away all of their value, or at least a lot of it, and makes them subservient to men and, and, and really is antithetical to the whole feminist message. And, I, and, and we thought, how can this be? It's because they're being evangelized. I was uh, contacted recently that there is a school in our area, and this school has been ordered to create rooms for the Muslim children to be able to pray during the day. They have been ordered to do it. 
Now, my question is, if the Muslim children are going to be given room to pray in our schools, where's the ACLU? Where are they? Where, are, where is the ACLU? And, and who I call Against Christian Liberties Union. Where is the ACLU when now this is a clear violation of separation of church and state? Where are they? Where is the outrage? Where are the protesting voices? I'm telling you, church, we better wake up, open our eyes, rise up, walk in the power of the Holy Ghost that God has given to us and become red-hot daily evangelists for Christ. Hold up His banner. Talk about the superiority of Jesus over every other faith and every other religion because only He is Lord of lords and King of kings. We cannot give up the ground to this. But if we don't get after it, the ground is being lost by the day. Now, I'm here to tell you today that God has given you the Holy Spirit. We've talked recently about the importance of the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's children. You've got to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've looked at the radical difference His power made in the disciples when the Spirit of God fell, how radically they were changed, how bold they became. And we've talked about how the Spirit of God transformed the church from people hiding behind locked doors to those that stepped into the middle of the public and preached Jesus without fear. We've also seen the difference His power made in the lives of the great movers and shakers in Christian history who shook their world in their day for God. Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, and countless others who were transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost when they received the Holy Spirit, another force, another power, another supernatural presence took over their lives, and they became unstoppable forces for God, not by might and not by power of flesh, but by the Spirit. We've heard Jesus in the last few weeks, as I've quoted the Scriptures, we've heard the way He stressed the importance of the Holy Spirit's touch prior to any ministry. Jesus said, don't even think about reaching out to others in my name until the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You wait in Jerusalem and don't go out with my gospel because my gospel is designed to be wedded to the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit was not given to turn people. I want to be clear about this. Please hear me on this because a lot of people have a fear of the Holy Spirit. And this is why I'm about to say what I'm going to say. A lot of people are afraid of the Holy Spirit. There are pastors afraid to allow the moving of the Holy Spirit in their church. They're terrified that they're going to lose control. And so the Holy Ghost is quenched and put down and suppressed and ignored because they're afraid that if they let the Spirit of God move, it's going to make the people into freaks. They're going to go crazy. They're going to lose control of their church. And a lot of them have this fear because of what they've seen. They've seen people act strangely after having been touched by the Holy Ghost. But I want to be clear about something now. Hear this. The Holy Spirit was not given to turn people into oddballs or to make them eccentric or strange, <clears throat> spooky, or a bit off kilter. 
The Holy Spirit was not given as a toy to play with or the means of an endless emotional experience for the experience's sake alone. That is not why God gave the Holy Ghost. He did not give it for us to just jump from one experience to the next, to the next, to the next for the sake of experiencing the experience. As some people, they go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. In one meeting laughing, another meeting crying, another meeting falling down, other meeting jumping up. Wherever the next manifestation is, they run off to that. But my question is, how many people are being saved through your life? If you're getting all this Holy Ghost, if you're having all these experiences, tell me how many people are being changed, won to Christ, saved because of these experiences in your life. Because I'm telling you, by the authority of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit was given to witness to be persuasive, influential, to have a power upon you when you share Christ. The Holy Spirit was not given to make a spectacle of himself or to point to himself or to call endless attention to himself. That's not why he came. Listen carefully to what Jesus said. He, the Holy Ghost, will glorify me. He will point to me. The Spirit of God is like a divine pointer. We've all seen those dogs. They get on the scent and their tails point straight towards whatever it is they were tracking. I want you to know that when God sent the Holy Spirit, He's like a divine pointer. He always points up. He always points to Christ. He always glorifies Him. He always makes people talk about and think about Jesus Christ. He came as a divine pointer to point like a sign. You don't go up to a sign and say, hallelujah, honey, we found the sign. Let's build the house right here. If you're looking for land to build a home and you see a sign that's going to lead you to that land, do you build the home at the sign or at the land it's pointing to? Wake up, everybody. The Holy Spirit is sent as a sign. He brings signs and wonders. And what does a wonder do? A wonder makes you wonder. And what does it make you wonder about? How did this happen? What is this? What are these changed lives? What do I see happening here? What is this supernatural presence on these people? And when somebody sees that, the divine pointer will always point up. He's the reason. Christ is the reason. Jesus is the reason. Jesus said that the Spirit's purpose was to empower the believer for Christian living and Christian witnessing. You shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now I want you to notice something. I'm going to show you this today. While the disciples and others were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and they were, they experienced continual filling all their lives long. They did not pitch tent on one experience. They did not build their lives on one experience. They did not constantly hearken back to some experience way back when no, they were having a daily experience with the Holy Ghost. They were walking daily filled with the Holy Spirit. The first time they were filled on the day of Pentecost was the first of thousands of times. When the first deacons were chosen, just a deacon, who are very important in the church, the qualifications were men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. The qualifications were not, is he a good old boy? 
They were not, have we known him for a long time? They were, is he filled with the Holy Spirit daily? When the disciples were asked how a man had been healed of lameness, the Bible records that Peter, quote, filled with the Holy Spirit, answered them. Filled with the Holy Spirit, answered them. How could these fishermen, think about it with me, church, these simple fishermen who were called out of their boats and to put their nets down, who were not educated, they were not profound thinkers, they were not philosophers, they were not teachers, they were not even verbal men, they were fishermen. How did Jesus call these men to follow him? And one day, one of these men, salty old Simon Peter, sun-baked, wrinkled, at least salt and pepper hair, stands up and preaches to all the religious authorities of his day a message so powerful, so strong, so persuasive that 3,000 people were cut to the heart and saved in one three-minute message. How did that happen? It happened by the power of the Holy Ghost of the living God. I want you to hear me today. It happened by the power of the Holy Ghost. We need him. More than we need any single thing, we need the moving of the Spirit of God. So do you in your personal private life. When the early Christians were forbidden to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus, it says they got together and they prayed in one accord. And Scripture says, quote, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? They went and spoke the word of God with boldness. They had been told, if you preach or teach in the name of Jesus, you're going to jail, you're going to prison, you might lose your life. They prayed. The Holy Spirit filled them. And they went out and against all the warnings, against all the threatenings, preached Christ Jesus with boldness. Not just Peter, James, and John, but the laity, the youths. And we see that their filling was not a one-time experience, but it was a daily, regular, consistent one. And I want you to get that today. They regularly drew from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is what allowed them to keep on going against all adversity. And I'm going to tell you, folks, you think we're living in modern days and we don't need this. We're not in an hour of persecution like this. Hello, I'm, I am preemptively preparing you. We're up against attack every single day of our life. No, we're not being thrown into prison yet. They are in other parts of the world. When they name the name of Christ, they go to jail, they go to prison, they're martyred for Christ. I'm telling you, we need the power of the Holy Ghost. And I, 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 one day you're going to remember, Pastor Jeff stood up and preached this to you because you need it yesterday. You don't just need it in some future day. We need this yesterday. I read recently of a couple who live in a home in the mountains whose water supply comes from a reservoir fed by two mountain springs. Their, their water supply comes from two mountain springs. These two springs never fluctuate. They never run dry. Rainy season or dry, they remain the same. Their water supply comes from two ever-flowing streams. This couple draws on the water as they need it every day, as they need it. And the springs that continually flow into the reservoir keep it filled to overflowing. If they draw, it's refilled. 
If they draw more water, the reservoir is refilled. They can never, they can never exhaust the reservoir because it's fed by two springs that always keep it full. As soon as they take water out, water goes back in. Water out, water goes back in. Water out, water goes back in. This is a perfect picture of what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. <clears throat> you have within you a reservoir. Jesus called it a well. He said, I'm going to dig a well in you. He who believes in me, he's going to have a well inside of him. And water will be in that well springing up into everlasting life. Now hear me, heaven contains an infinite supply of living waters. They had the two springs feeding their home. But heaven has an infinite supply of the living waters of the Spirit of God. And when you go and you give out, it's supposed to come right back in. You give out, it comes right back in. You give out some more, it goes right back in. I'm giving out now. I'm flowing out towards you now, the Spirit of God. And when I leave, I'm going to go home and I'm going to thank Jesus and He's going to fill me again. And I'm going to go give it again and He's going to fill me again and I'm going to go give it again. And we're to draw, catch this, we are to draw from that spring as often as we need it. So, Pastor, how often should I get with God? As often as you need it. How do I know when I'm filled with the Spirit? When you're full. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell you if you're full or running on empty. The Spirit-filled life, I'm going to tell you a few things about the Spirit-filled life. It's a choice. Can you say with me, a choice. Now I want you to listen to this verse. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, Be not drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled, be filled with the Spirit. Now why do I say it's a choice based on this verse? Because he's juxtaposing two options in front of us, wine and the Spirit of God. And he says, we don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We live in a world of choices because we live in a world of, of counterfeits mixed with the genuine. That's why we have choices. Choices are as old as mankind. Adam and Eve had the tree of good and evil right there in front of them. Everything else was a good choice. That was the only bad choice. And leave it up to people. They went and took the bad choice. And I'm going to talk to Adam when I get to heaven. I'm going to say, thanks a lot. Because his failure brought the whole human race into misery and suffering. But I won't condemn him because I know the feeling. Anybody in here perfect? All right. Paul is saying there are counterfeit remedies for our thirsty souls. To the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet, Proverbs say. Let me give you some of the counterfeit remedies alcohol, drugs, sensuality, money. These are things that people in our day grab all the time. And I am convinced when a man drinks, when he snorts the cocaine, when he smokes the speed or whatever they do with it these days, when a man totally gives himself over to sensuality or lives his life to make money, I am convinced what they're looking for is this well of water that springs up into everlasting life. They just don't know what it is quite that is missing, but they know something is missing, and they're looking desperately for something to fill the God-shaped hole that nothing else will fill but Christ and His Holy Spirit. Paul holds up a comparison between alcohol and God's Spirit. Let me just talk to you about this for a minute. A person filled with alcohol 
is controlled and dominated by it. It overrides your normal faculties and it overrides your normal actions. It brings you under its power and sway and influence. When someone is drunk, we call them under the influence. What we're saying is very profound. When somebody is under the influence of alcohol, they are being influenced by something not normal, something not human, something not of them. They're under another influence, and it shows in everything, and I'm going to show that in just a minute. It's very similar what Paul is saying when he says, be filled with the Spirit. Spirit-filled Christians are to be under the influence. Say, hey man, why are you so happy? I'm under the influence. How come you never get down? Because I'm under the influence. Wouldn't somebody just freak out a little bit if you told them that? Somebody at work, instead of saying, oh, it's Jesus, just say, I'm under the influence. Oh, cool, man, what do you got? Well, I'll tell you this, I didn't smoke it, didn't drink it, didn't shoot it, didn't snort it. Well, then where'd you get this? Ah, it's called living water. See, Jesus, Jesus snagged the woman at the well with this very thing. He said, I'm going to give you living water. She said, what in the world is living water? And he told her. And I'm telling you, we're to be under the influence. Now, I'm going to... You're going to be under the influence of something every day. You're going to be under the influence of the flesh. You're going to be under the influence of something every day. Christians are supposed to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Consider the similarities between alcohol and the Holy Spirit. Just watch this. This is why it's such a counterfeit. One is good, healthy, and advantageous, the Spirit of God. The other can be destructive, evil, and can open you up to a universe of trouble and regret. I'm not telling you you can't drink because the Bible doesn't forbid drinking. It forbids drunkenness. But here's what I would rather say. Learn to access the Holy Spirit who lives within you, who Jesus said would be springing up into everlasting life. Learn to go there to get relaxed. Learn to go there to get your joy. Learn to go there to take your troubles and leave them. You don't ever leave your troubles at the bottom of a bottle. You just put them away for a little bit. They jump right back on you as soon as the influence goes away. Learn to walk blocking. Amen, Pastor Jeff. I'm going to get this CD. Hallelujah. I'm not condemning you and I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you what I think is the superior option. Watch this. Alcohol affects your speech. Listen to what Proverbs says. Your mouth will utter perverse things. But being spirit-filled also affects your speech. It moves the person under his influence. Here's what Paul described it as. To speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, giving thanks always for all things. When somebody's under the influence of alcohol... It's blues plus booze equals heartache. Every country song about alcohol is a sad song. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you give thanks for everything. You've got a positive attitude and your words bless other people. Listen, as I juxtapose these two things, which influence would you rather be under? Alcohol affects what you see. Proverbs says your eyes will see strange things. Obviously, talking about the person with tormenting hallucinations 
coming off of alcohol through withdrawal. They see things that aren't there. They're tormented by thoughts that are not real. But being spirit-filled also affects what you see. Jesus said, I counsel you to let me anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Eye salve is a, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus wanted us to see was spiritual truth. And you see spiritual truth under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I want a church that walks out of church into all the restaurants and all the workplaces under the influence. I want you to live under the influence. I want you to get up and get a drink of the living waters and go out and greet your day under the influence. I want you to go out thanking God and blessing people with power on your life. I mean victorious in your personal life. And that's only going to happen as you are under the influence. Can you say with me, under the influence? Praise God. Alcohol affects the direction your life takes. Listen to what Proverbs says. Yes, you will be like a sailor tossed at sea who lies down on a swaying mast. Your daily mantra will be, let's go and have another drink. You eat, you, you live to drink and you drink to live. That's the life of somebody hooked on alcohol and, and the Bible puts it in a bad light. But listen, spirit-filled, the person under the Spirit's influence also has the direction of their life influenced. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.15, the Spirit-filled person will walk circumspectly. That means carefully. That means wisely. Not as fools, Paul says, but as wise, making the most of life's opportunities. Walking under the influence of the Spirit sharpens your mind, sharpens your discernment. It makes you aware of the opportunities God is placing in front of you, and you seize them, and you redeem your time, and your life counts for something. Under the influence, to be spirit-filled is to be controlled or dominated by the Spirit's presence and power. It is literally, literally to be under the influence. So Christians are to walk under the influence, under the control of the Holy Spirit every single day. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, under the influence. Turn to the other side and say, you look like you're on something. <laughs> Woo, okay. I just heard somebody say, Ooh, how'd they know? <laughs> Once saved, we're to be ongoingly filled with the Spirit. Please catch this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, he said. It could easily be translated, be filled and keep on being filled. Or be being filled. Or keep on being filled with the Spirit. People who say, yeah, I was filled, filled with the Spirit in 1972. Hallelujah. I say, really? Praise God. That's great. What about now? Well, like I said, I was filled with the Spirit in 1972. Changed my life. Here's how it's supposed to change your life. You ought to like it so much you want to experience it every day. Jesus said, you're never going to want a drink again once you have drunk from the Holy Spirit. Listen to Jesus' words. He who believes in me from his innermost being will flow, flow. Can everybody say with me, flow? Do you notice he didn't say trickle? Notice he didn't say it's a major event if the Holy Spirit gets out of you. He said flow, rivers of living water. The normal Christian life is to be daily, every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just to flow up and fill us, but it's to flow out and touch others.
Jesus once told a very promiscuous woman about the Holy Spirit, and he said this, the water that I give you will become in you a well of water, and it will spring up and out into everlasting life. That's God's will. Now, you answer this question for me. If everybody who went to church on a Sunday morning in America was having this happen in their life, would Islam be encroaching on the West? No, we would be seeing all kinds of people in Islam saved. Because when I see somebody who's happy, got joy, has victory, I want what they've got. The Bible says we must be filled, living under the influence of God's Spirit, if we're going to glorify Him through our lives. Now, I'm going to tell you something extremely important right now. Some of you have said, Lord, what is your will for my life? I'm going to tell you right now one thing that is absolutely, undeniably the will of God for your life. Your calling as a Christian is to glorify God. Glorify God. I want you to listen very carefully to the next two passages I read. The first one's from Jesus himself. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So people look at you, they see what you're doing, the good works you're involved in, and they look straight up and they glorify God who is in heaven. Now here's the next verse. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So when a Christian eats, we bow and we thank God for the food. And when we thank God for the food, we're giving God the glory. When I drink coffee all day long, I say, Lord, thank you for this coffee. I thought, what, what an incredible verse. When you eat, glorify God. When you drink, glorify God. Whatever you do, your calling is to glorify God. The Christian life is show and tell. The Christian life is show and tell. You show the world God is real in your life by your works. Your neighbors see you when you get up and you go to church. They wonder why you're getting up so early on a Sunday morning and bothering to get dressed and grab your kids and get them all dressed and get into a suit or in the nice clothes and walk out the door and bother driving all the way to church. Why in the world are they doing that? Well, they've got to come to one conclusion. You're either religious or something has happened in your life. And he says, when they see your good works and they realize it's because God has touched your life, it glorifies God. So you are God's show and tell. Your face is God's greatest billboard. Smile. Amen. Can you say with me, show and tell? See, God's got you where you work. He has got you where you live your life. He has put you there, not for you to hide, not for you to, to, to uh, hide your faith from those around you, but he has put you there as a show and tell. Once they see your good works and realize that it's your father that has touched you, he says, then you tell, you tell. You follow up by telling them why you live the way you do. It is show and it is tell. But you'll never do it You'll never glorify God unless you walk in the power of the Spirit under the influence of the Holy Ghost. We don't have the power. We don't have the strength. We don't have the wherewithal. 
to glorify God in our lives apart from the one Jesus sent to live in us, that jar of water we're carrying around to show to the world, that jar of water that is from another world. And we want them to see what we have been drinking from. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, He will praise me and bring me great honor by showing you my glory. He will glorify me. So when the Holy Ghost touched your life, it wasn't just so you could be hooked on a feeling. It was so that you could have power to glorify God through your life. Kathy and I went, uh, we did a funeral right here. We conducted a funeral. A young man in our church went to be with the Lord. He was 28 years old. All of his life, uh, he had cystic fibrosis and he was autistic. Two big strikes against him. He's a wonderful young man. His name was Evan. Wonderful young man. I first met Evan years ago when his parents came into our church with him, and he was autistic. And if you've ever worked with autistic children, you know it's very serious and very frustrating. Uh, I worked with three autistic children for a year when I was going through the University of North Texas. I did it volunteer, and I had three different levels of autism I worked with, mild and sort of medium, and I had a real bad one. And Evan was autistic, so he was detached from reality to a level. But when he walked in the very first time to our church, I noticed he was challenged. He would suddenly blurt out and wave his hands in inopportune times. People look at him. But I saw the parents, and I saw the desperation on their face and the longing to be able to come to church and be, and be fed. I knew the burden they were, they were carrying. So I took them aside, and I said, listen, he's not bothering anybody. If he gets real bad, just take him out um, and then bring him back when he's settled down. But, but you're welcome here. So they started coming, and they kept coming. But cystic fibrosis over time drowns you. It's your lungs. You can't breathe anymore. So I heard a while back that Evan had been put in the hospital. So I went to see Evan, and they knew that his time was imminent. And all of his family was there, all in the room. Evan heard me, saw me come in. My voice, is very, my voice carries. He heard my voice and grabbed my hand. And when I prayed for him, he didn't want to let go. He knew his time was coming. In his simple way, his faith had reached up and had embraced Christ. He was as saved as you or me. Because Jesus has made the gospel so simple that the simplest among us can understand it. And so... I prayed with him knowing that I might not see him alive again, and I didn't. So here was the funeral, and there were this many people, and doctors and nurses from Cook's Children, or Cook Children's Hospital back in the back, and I shared Jesus like I always do at funerals, and, and uh, I sensed the Holy Spirit. Me and Kathy left. We had a couple of hospital visits to make that night. Matter of fact, we had a choice. We had enough time to go to one of them. The next one we would have to do the next day. So we decided we would go visit uh, Melba De La Cruz's mother who fell and broke her leg. Sweet little woman, and she was going to be operated on the next day. So we walked in there and prayed for her. Now, I got y'all, y'all, I want you to understand this. Over the years, I got filled with the Spirit when I was 18. And over the years, I've learned, hopefully, some things about walking with Him. And I try when I go somewhere, I try not to go alone. I try to go with Him aware of him, sensing him, listening to him. He, he's a quiet companion. 
When he speaks, it's in a very still, small voice. Very peaceful, very gentle, non-intrusive, non-coercive. So we walk into the hospital, and I always try to be filled with the Spirit when I walk into a hospital praying for the sick. And I, I left, and Kathy and I are walking down the hall, and we go into the waiting room where the elevators were, and I see this beautiful girl on a poster that had been put on the wall of the waiting room. And something was under it telling about her, so I stopped to read about it. And I suddenly began to sense the Holy Spirit. See, I don't think anything in the life of a child of God who's walking with God is an accident. I really don't. I really do believe that once you learn to walk with Him, you really are. He intentionally puts you somewhere for show and tell. I mean that. He says, oh, look, there's one walking in the Spirit. Let's put them in key strategic locations so they can show and tell. I really believe that. Are y'all with me? Well, oh, I didn't know this. He's on you. What he does with me, he'll do with you. Not just because I'm up here behind a pulpit. I'm just like you. So I went in there. I see this poster. And I said, Kathy, come here. We were waiting for the elevator to get to the top. And she read it. And I said, look at that. She's in a coma. And right then, I felt him. And I turned around. And here's a woman. And she's looking at me. She heard me say something to Kathy. And I said, are you her mother? And she said, yes. And I said, and I walked over to her. Now I'm feeling like I'm moving in the spirit. I'm sensing a divine opportunity here. So I said to her, I said, well, well what happened? Well, she was going to work. She was one year from graduating Texas A&M. She was about to get engaged to be married, 20 years old, beautiful girl. You see her picture there, a beautiful girl, 20 years old, whole life in front of her. And a drunk woman came barreling down the wrong side of the road slammed into her, dislodged her brain in three locations. She doesn't even know what happened. She's been out over a month. I said, can I go pray for her? She said, sure. So we go in there. Kathy's with me, the mother and a friend of the mother's, and this girl. One other person was in the room. And I just laid hands on I said, I'm going to pray for her now. Now, I was to learn later, this was a good Methodist and a good Baptist, and they'd never seen this. So they were sort of, I said, now I'm going to pray for her. And so I felt faith to pray for her total healing. And I talked to it, and I prayed for her. And I prayed hard. I prayed sincerely. And suddenly there was such a presence in this room that I didn't even want to stop. It was just this presence filled the room. It was my Jesus coming in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he led me. I know he did. Prayed for her. I'm a total stranger to these women. The mother thanked me profusely. She said, if she doesn't come out in a couple of weeks, we're in trouble. Kathy and I went home. The next day we have a call, a recording on our phone. And it's a friend of this mother. She says, Pastor Jeff Wickwire, I want you to know. I don't, I don't know you. And Jackie's mother didn't know you. But she said, I wish you could have been there when that man prayed. I have never felt anything like it. Everybody else who has come in here has prayed, Lord, if it be thy will. He prayed, 
like he thought something was going to happen. I expected her to open her eyes on the spot. And something was in the room. I'm telling you. And she said, Jackie's mother said to me, I have never experienced anything like it before. Never felt anything like that. Isn't that sad? Because the church ought to be able to walk into places like that all the time for show and tell. What happened? The jar of water in me got poured out. That's it. And before I was home, I was filled again. The reservoir flows in. It flows out, flows in. Bubbling, 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 bubbling. An inexhaustible supply. Can we stand together? I want you to remember, you're God's show and tell. Everywhere you go, you're God's show and tell. (laughs) I pay you to be the show and tell around here. Nope, you're God's show and tell. Whether or not you feel like it. Father, I just thank you for our precious people, and I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells among us. For he who dwells within us. And I thank you that every one of these precious saints of God are God's lantern shining in a dark place. Show and tell. We show your grace on us, Lord, by the works we're involved in. And then we tell why we do what we do. I thank you, Lord God, for the... power of that precious spirit. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, church. If you can just say, Lord, touch me in a fresh way. Fill me with your spirit every day. Next week, I'm going to talk, I'm going to get down to real practicalities. How do you stay filled with the spirit every day? Don't miss next week. The pathway to the power. But how many of you want to walk under the influence every day? Amen? Father, grace us to do it in Jesus' name. Let's sing, Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome, Steve. And I want you to make it a prayer before we go today. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for your precious spirit. Holy Spirit, Thou art welcome.